Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good, and his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.
faithfulness sustains what you begin. It has and always will. Yes, your faithfulness keeps us in your hands. It has and always will. Confess this scripture with me. Let's uh, repeat it after me. Oh, the depth of the riches. The wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments. His paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Isn't this a great group up here this morning? They sound great. You're going to love it. As they lead you in worship this morning, my name is Mickey Rapier. I'm one of the staff here at Fellowship Northwest Arkansas, and it is great to be with you here in Bentonville this morning, and I want to just update you on a few things and just say thank you. We're always telling you about needs and opportunities, but hardly ever would do we come back and say thank you, and so that's what I want to do this morning. Thank you for your generosity to our disaster relief uh, during the time of the Springdale tornado and our help with refugees coming out of Ukraine, we've been able to donate thousands and thousands of dollars to them, uh, so much so that we've closed down our disaster relief portal uh, because we have so much to help them with. The folks in Springdale have been totally blown away by your generosity, and so thank you so much for that. I want to welcome you and thank you for being a part of this service today, and as always, uh, let us know that you were here because uh, we like to have a record of your visit. I also want to thank you for your generosity to the Fellowship Bentonville Initiative. As you know, when we first started building this, it looked like it was going to cost us about $31 million. And uh, we've whittled that down, uh, and uh, we owe about $3.9 million. That's it. That's it. And that's within a space of five years. And we want to get this taken care of by the end of December. Now, uh, here is one thing that has surprised me is since we've been in the building, the monthly giving has gone down a little bit. And I'm saying, what? It's gone down. We've got the building. We're here. So we want everyone to participate, to continue to do that. All of us working together with all the other congregations, they're still focused on it too. We want to get this paid down so that it's done by the end of the year. Wonderful thing that we didn't have to borrow a dime until we were already laying carpet in here. And so we wanted to be snap, snap, quick, get it done. Hey, one way you can help us by doing that is going to your account on my fellowship. And uh, if, if you uh, will go and update your profile, you probably need to do that anyway. One guy told me this week, uh, I, I was at the groundbreaking for the Samaritan Community Center there on our Rogers campus. And he said, hey, I'm not getting any news from fellowship anymore. I said, well, that's probably because you haven't checked the boxes uh, on, on your account with fellowship. 
Because if you don't check the boxes that you want an email from us or if you want uh, the news and so forth, we're not going to just fill your email box with spam. Uh, so please, uh, if you would go in and update your profile, uh, make sure your address is right, put your picture on there, all those things. And the other thing you can do is you can give. Uh, under giving, you're going to see Fellowship Bentonville, Fellowship Rogers, all those things. And for those of you who came from Rogers, your giving is probably still going through the Rogers campus. We wanted to go through the Bentonville campus, and that's one way we measure health, all right, of, of this campus and the other campuses is to know uh, how our numbers looking, how our giving, that's how we measure health. And so help us do that. Go in and update your profile and if you will do that, we will give you a pony. Okay? Easy enough. Hey, watch this video. This blessed me. They had a worship night in this room the other night, and that one of them just, uh, uh, Kyle told me he took out his iPhone and took a, a video of that. I, I thought it was just beautiful. When you were in high school, were you acting like that? I wasn't. I guarantee you I wasn't. Seth said one of his kids were, uh, was in the banana suit. Uh, that's what he was just telling me. But anyway, we, we've, uh, our, our student ministry, you know, there, there's so many complaints about our kids. There's so many things that are negative, all that. I wanted you to see that because that really blessed me. The heart of our kids all together worshiping, it was just phenomenal. And uh, we're, we're doing something. How many of you have been a part of our camps or retreats with student ministry over the years? I'm curious. Oh yeah, I see hands all over the room. They are life-changing, aren't they? They are life-changing, our camps and retreats. But it has gotten so expensive that I started to brainstorm with our student ministry leaders a while back. What can we do for those kids that can't afford to go, uh, for those kids, uh, for those families that have maybe two or three kids, and they're talking about $1,800 to send them to a camp or a retreat. Uh, what can we do to help them out? And we have set up a student activities fund if you got your uh, Bentonville News this week, you saw a link for that, but we're going to only open it through the month of June. I went to a young couple and asked them, I knew that they had gone to our camps and retreats for years, and I said, hey, would you be willing to donate every year to help scholarship a student to go to camp or a retreat? And they said, absolutely. And you know why they hadn't done it? Because no one had ever asked. And so I'm asking. I'm asking for us to help to make sure we have as many students as possible to participate in what uh, our student ministries have going on. And so that will only be open during the month of June, and you have to go to that giving page on our website and find that. It'll say Student Activity Fund, and if we all chip in and just do something, just do 20 bucks, whatever, uh, it will make a huge difference as our student ministry 
leaders manage that. Well, let's pray as we begin this service. I think you're going to enjoy this hour together. And I want us to pray like this. I want us to sing holy, holy, holy together and acknowledge that our God is holy. Sing it with me. Acapella. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall Amen. Well, it is great to be with you this morning. Um, it looks a little different up here than normal. Um, what we like to do is about once a month, something like that, we want to just strip all the instruments back so we can really just give you a chance to hear your voices sing and us to be able to hear your voices sing and uh, just enjoy this time together in, uh, in the living room. Um, which brings up uh, a little story I want to tell real quick. So um, it was a, probably a little over a year ago. Um, I've been on staff for 18 years at Fellowship. Uh, it's weird to say that, 18 years. And uh, as I was kind of looking out on the horizon toward Fellowship Bentonville and the new assignment, I was like, man, do I have it in the tank for this? Is this... Am I going to be able to do this? I'm feeling a little bit on the burnt side, burnt out, um, coming out of COVID. And I was really praying for God to just uh, fill me afresh. I was praying for a heart of worship among our worship team that is just pure and simple. And, uh, and then I met uh, the old guy with the, with the gray hair down on the other end. Um, his name is Andrew, and uh, he's become a close friend, a good buddy. And uh, he just, he came up to me and he asked me, hey, Seth, is there, is there any, like, small groups that just meet in homes to worship together, to just sing and pray? And, uh, and unfortunately, it really set me back. I was like, I honestly don't know. And so uh, it wasn't too long after uh, he said, hey, well, do you have any, like, a list of people maybe that might be interested? And I was like, absolutely. I'm putting my name on that list, and I'm sending you that list. And um, that list has grown over the last couple of months, and uh, there's just kind of been this little movement of house worship, uh, which has been really cool and just exactly an answer to prayer for me uh, to be filled up to overflow and serving you guys on a weekend. And so, actually... Uh, he got on to me last service, but I'm going to do it again. We're just going to open it up. Um, if, you, if you're interested in house worship, we'll just multiply these things if we need to. So just come up after the service and let me know. Uh, we'd love for you to be able to experience that as well. But we just thought we would bring house worship to you this morning. We would uh, just enter the living room together. And so my prayer for us all this morning 
is that we can relax into this place together. Just take a deep breath. Will you just go ahead and do it? Just take a deep breath. That feels good. Let's do it again. And I want to invite you to just be present to the people around you. Be present to the Spirit of God. Be present to us this morning. Just that any insecurity in singing out or participating, that it would just fall away. That you'd invite the Spirit to just give you a voice this morning to make a joyful noise and lift it up together. Uh, we often start, or one of the songs toward the beginning of our times together it tends to be this song that's become really special uh, to us uh, called The Goodness of God, where we just rehearse the goodness of God and rest in it. And so um, let's sing together and let's worship. Remember, anytime we're singing songs, we're not just singing songs. We're praying. We're praying prayers put to music. And so pray these words to your your God and your Father this morning. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hand. From the moment that I wake up until I Father, giver of all, every good and perfect gift comes from you. We ask you to accept these gifts and use them for your glory. May they bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, rest to the weary, and hope to the hopeless. As you multiply the offering of fish and loaves, Multiply these to accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. We give freely and not under compulsion, for all we have is yours. Nothing we can give could match your great gifts to us, your Son and your Spirit. Close like no other. No. 
It's my uh, privilege to introduce you to our daughter, Ella. Uh, Ella's 11 years old, and she's invited Jesus into her heart more than once over the years. <laughs> and we've been talking together about baptism for a long time. And Ella knew she had a faith in Christ, but she just wasn't quite ready to take that next step of baptism. And as we sat and sang together during one of the house worship times that Seth talked about, uh, the Lord spoke to Ella as we sang a song with the words, I want to know you more. And she was singing that song herself. And on our way home, Ella told us that she decided during that song that she wanted to be baptized. And the really cool thing about that story um, is that that song we sang, we hadn't prepared it that night. It was just a spontaneous song that uh, someone in the room started singing. Uh, and what's even more cool is there were two other people sat in the room, and they were also about to start singing that same song at that same point in time of the night. So we believe God really wanted Ella to hear that song that night. So Ella, is it your testimony today that you've trusted Jesus Christ to pay for your sin and give you eternal life? And I'll baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's sing that little chorus together. It's your breath in our lives. 
and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Great are you, Lord. 
God, you are great. God, thank you for the work that you do in our lives. Thank you for this new birth in the heart and the soul of Ella Ogden. We praise you for new life. Praise you that you make all things new. That anyone standing in this room this morning that longs to breathe in fresh air, to breathe in grace, need only to turn to you. So God, we look to you, we love you, we are grateful. God, thank you for your word and thank you that it is constant. It is steady, firm. God, may it be the foundation that our lives are built upon. And so as as Hunter brings it this morning, God, I, I just pray for him. I pray that you would give him your words for us this morning and that by your spirit, um, you would plant seeds, uh, you would water seeds that have been planted, you would grow us up um, into maturity of knowing you and living life with you, because that's where life is found. And so thank you, Jesus, for that. Uh, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. What a sweet morning. Thanks, Andrew, for letting us share that with your family. The, the whole last like seven weeks, eight weeks, however long it's been, has been so sweet for our family uh, getting to launch this with y'all. Just very grateful for this body. Uh, we are still getting to know each other, right? So if you don't know me, my name is Hunter. One of the things that might help you get to know me is to know that I am prone to injury. Now, you might be thinking, well, yeah, we're in Bentonville, so you're probably hitting 10-foot drops and backflips and slaughter pen. And while I am flattered that you might think that this body can do that, uh, they're actually kind of not fun injuries. I roll my ankle probably two to four times a week. Um, and I can roll it on anything. Like, you want a spiritual example? I could roll it on a mustard seed. I could find it and roll it. And my body has like a like a built-in mechanism where when it happens, I just collapse so that the weight of my body doesn't mess it up even more. It happens all the time. This other picture, this is from 2018, so it'd be four years ago now, and we were entering an eight-month remodel project. I didn't know it was going to last that long, but it did, and this was on day one, hour two. So two hours into an eight-month project, I sliced my pinky tendon in half with a piece of tile. So this was me at the doctor's office after it had healed, uh, trying to straighten it as much as I could, and it was not happening. But the human body is actually pretty amazing, though, because for some things, it can actually kind of heal itself, right? It bruises, it swells, it scabs, it does whatever it needs to do to actually heal the brokenness. Other times, we need medical attention, right? We, we need someone to step in and actually repair something that our body may not be able to naturally do by itself. I got so tired of trying to put my hands in my pocket and my pinky catching that I'm like, okay, I have to get surgery for this little thing. Uh, but even in scripture, we actually see some physical remedies for physical illnesses. Scripture doesn't just say, just pray about it, right? When, when Timothy is struggling with some type of stomach issues, you know what Paul writes to him and says? Stop drinking so much water. Drink a little bit of wine. Like, okay, Paul, give him some instruction there. Uh, but let's be honest, there are other things that happen to our bodies that they don't heal on them, their own, and medicine doesn't even help. And often in those times, we turn to prayer and ask God to heal. And the question is, can 
God actually heal? We, we know the answer is yes. We see examples throughout Scripture, but we also see it in our lives today that often God will actually step in and do something that science can't explain, and he'll, he will heal physically a body of someone. Maybe someone who reaches out to him in faith, maybe someone who actually hasn't. But every time we talk about healing, we need to obviously be very careful because I know this is such a heavy subject for many in here. I would assume that many of you, part of your prayer life this morning may have been praying for physical healing for yourself or for someone in your family. You may have been praying for years for the same thing. Uh, Some of us see it come to fruition. Others of us, no matter how hard we pray, we don't see that. Um, I bet 90% of the prayer requests that come through our staff and prayer team uh, list and system probably are related to physical healing of some type. And we know that both healing and suffering in this world can have a higher meaning that we can, than we can see in the moment. But man, it still leaves us with a lot of questions. So I want us to consider a couple of things this morning as we jump back into our miracle series and we see another miracle of God healing. And that, that, those would be these things. God does have the power to heal, and his glory is revealed when he steps in and does something miraculous. But he doesn't always say yes. And sometimes, I think the glory of God is revealed even brighter in the midst of a follower of him who has faith when they're not healed, though they're reaching out and begging for it. And then three, you know, I want us to consider, what if, even in any physical healing, that God's real agenda is spiritual healing. Now, that doesn't mean that he doesn't care about physical because he really does. It's of high priority. That's why Christ came physically to this earth and he physically died and he physically rose from the dead and he will physically return because he didn't just redeem us spiritually on the cross. He actually redeemed us physically, right? Our bodies were not meant to die. Whenever we say that, like, man, death is just natural, it's actually not. It's not how we were designed, and Christ had to make that right for us. But I do believe that more often than not, the physical things that we see Jesus do, these miracles, always point to something deeper that's going on. And we'll see that again this morning. So we're in week three of our miracle series, and our miracle series is kind of the middle of a bigger series that we're doing here over the book of John. And of these seven, I've highlighted the four of them that actually have to do with physical healing of some type, okay? There's a couple that don't that are also miracles, but these four have some type of physical healing uh, involved with a person. And one of the reasons that I know that Christ's miracles aren't just for physical purposes is think about all seven and how all seven, the physical things that happened were temporary. They didn't last forever, all right? Let's do the non-highlighted ones, water to wine, Jesus did not just set up a tap that anybody who wanted could just go like, oh, I need some wine, let me put some water in, and it comes out. This was something for a moment in time to show his glory, but it did not last after that party. The one that we'll cover next week, five loaves, two fish, you're going to see the same thing. God does a miraculous thing, but it provides people one meal, and you're going to see them start following him, and basically they want more, but the physical aspect of that was only temporary With walking on water, I don't even know why Jesus is doing some of these. I'm like, is he just flexing at this point? Because that's really cool. There's got to be a deeper meaning, and I will let someone else teach that in a couple of weeks. But the physical healings, we really see it play out. Because think about the official son last week. We'll look at a crippled man who's healed today. 
A couple weeks, we'll see a man who was born blind can actually see. What happens to all three of those guys however many years later? They die. Like the, the physical healing was great, but it's only temporary, and their bodies would still eventually fade. And then think about Lazarus, which I'll teach in four weeks. Like that poor guy, we always look at it like, man, he got raised from the dead. How cool. He had to die again, right? He had to go through it twice. There's a reason that Jesus is the firstborn among the dead and not Lazarus, because he actually had to go through that whole thing again. But often we see Jesus doing these things to authenticate himself with his power, but also give us a foretaste of what is coming. And we'll see that in today's miracle. If you've got your Bibles, would highly encourage you to open it up physically. Uh, we'll be in John chapter 5, verses 1 through 18. And just as a reminder, when I say that Jesus has a bigger vision of healing than just that person, that doesn't mean he's using them as a pawn and he doesn't care about them. He has this incredible ability to meet a need and to show grace while painting a picture of something way greater, spiritual healing and wholeness that he can provide. So when we look at John chapter 5, the first couple of verses give us the setting. It starts with after this. What does John chapter 5 come after? John chapter 4. Thank you, Paul Bearfield. We have a brilliant group of people in here. It's awesome. What does the miracle in John chapter 5 come after? Don't say the miracle in John chapter 4. I'm going to beat you to it. It, it, it comes after the miracle that we just saw Jesus perform last week, right? The official son, somebody said. So after Jesus does this, he makes his way to Jerusalem, and he's going there for a feast. Now, we don't know which feast it is, but it says that he heads straight to a pool. So you've got Jesus showing up at a, at a feast, at a party, and he goes to a pool. Now, very different than what we might think of in, as a pool party, because look at verse 3. Look at the setting here. There's a multitude of invalids lying there, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And so this pool that Jesus shows up at is called the Pool of Bethesda. And ancient Jewish tradition talks about two pools that kind of have healing powers, and this would be one of them. This is actually a, um, a picture that Mickey took when he was over there. This is where they believe it was. It's not some isolated thing. It's actually like kind of right in the heart of the city next to the, the Sheep Gate and so you got Jesus showing up here, and there's this verse that if you noticed it, if some of you are really detail-oriented, you might actually see that verse 4 is missing. That's not a typo. I do make typos often, but this is not one of them. And you might look down in your Bible, and depending on the translation, you also don't see it in there. And there might be a footnote explaining it, but basically there was a belief that the reason these pools had healing powers is because an angel would come down and actually stir the water, and whoever could get to the water first would be healed. Now, that was tradition. That's what a lot of people believed. But the problem is that detail, verse 4 that's missing, was actually added sometime after 400 BC to give some clarity as to why this man was trying to get to this pool. We didn't see it in the original text, which is why modern-day scholars have actually removed it. But we do know that something crazy is happening at this pool, right? If all these people are sitting there trying to get into the water, something's going on. It could just be a spring that's bubbling up. But Jesus gets there, and he sees one man that stands out. And it was the one who had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, we know very little about this guy. We don't know if he has been like this since he was born, and he's actually 38 years old. 
We don't know if this happened from an accident or something later in life, and he's actually much older than that. But Jesus is going to have an interaction with him and with the people who are present who see kind of what's going on that changes the whole trajectory of the book of John. We've had, you know, this kind of nice uh, book so far with all these stories of these cool things that Jesus is doing, and we're about to see things flip and become hostile when we get to the end of it. If you have a red-letter Bible, you might see that Jesus makes four kind of one-liner statements uh, in these 18 verses, and these four are going to be our markers as we go through. We'll, we'll use them to kind of guide us through this narrative interaction that we see. So here's the first one. Jesus shows up at this pool. He sees this man. He approaches him. I assume he kind of kneels down, gets on his level, and he asks him, do you want to be healed? I already have multiple questions coming to mind when I was reading this and study. Like, the first one, why ask a sick man if he wants to be healed? Surely he does, right? I think there's a couple of options. Number one, this could be more of an invitation than it is a question. Uh, I, I think about when I ask my kids if they want to go get ice cream, right? I'm asking not because I want to know whether or not they want to do that. I know they want to do that. I'm asking because it's an invitation because I, as dad, have the power to give you something that I know you will enjoy, right? I have a $1.29 to get us to the spark, and I can treat the whole family for that. So let's go. I'm asking because I'm actually inviting them to experience something. I know they're going to say yes. So that could be one. But I also think maybe Jesus is reading into this guy and going, man, you are hopeless. I just want to start by asking, do you even want this. We can see he's hopeless physically, but I also think he's hopeless psychologically. And he's just in this pit, which kind of answers my next question. Why did Jesus choose this man? If there was a multitude there, why not one of the other ones? Maybe since he had had this disease for 38 years, maybe he was the most hopeless or with the least faith. Maybe he was the oldest. We don't know. Maybe this miracle would shine the brightest because he had the disease that was the least likely to be healed outside of a miracle. Think about this aspect of this interaction too, their ages, right? Jesus is early 30s at this point. So this guy has been lame longer than Jesus has even been alive on earth, which when I, that hit me, I'm like, man, that breathes some life. Maybe this guy sees this young pup, Jesus, coming up, asking him this question. He's like, Dude, do you know how many times I've tried this? Do you know how many times I've gotten my hopes up and been let down in trying to seek healing? I'm sure the only thing this guy wanted was to be healed, but he lost hopelessness. And we see it in his response to Jesus' question. He doesn't say, yes, sir, I do. I would love that. He says, I have no one, no spouse, no community, no friendship, no doctor, no caregiver, no one sitting right here who can actually take me into this pool to receive healing. I can't get there on my own. I need someone to lift me up and take me there. And every time I try and crawl, someone else steps in front of me and reaches it before me. I'm sure there's anger with those around him because they're his competition to try to experience healing. It feels like this man is in a pattern, right? His pain and circumstances have actually blinded him from seeing the healing that is right in front of him. 
because it's coming through a means that is different than where he thought he would find it. He had developed a certain pattern, and he had run it year after year after year, and for some reason, he kept running it, even though it wasn't working, and he couldn't see out of it. Some of y'all might identify with that in your own lives. I know that is my pornography story, that for years, I kind of created this method that I was going to do to defeat the sin, which was basically just fight harder next time and don't tell anyone, pray silently, and hope that the Holy Spirit's power would work. When I was actually ignoring James 5.16, which calls us to prayer and confession with others to experience healing. And we get in this cycle, and we can't see out of it because we've exhausted all the means that we can to find freedom or to find healing. But luckily, Jesus pulls from a different source of healing than we do. So you see him with this second statement. He, he comes to this man as they're interacting, and after that response, he doesn't say, okay, you are healed. He actually gives three commands as part of this healing. He says, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And I think all three of these are important. He's saying, get up. I want you to stand on the legs that you have not been able to stand on for 38 years. If I'm that guy, I'm going, seriously? But I have to assume that at some point, right then, he felt something. And something changed in his body. But then you have, Jesus doesn't have to add this second one. He doesn't. But he does add it, right? He says, take up your bed. And you'll see that of all of this, this is the biggest problem. Because it's Shabbat. It is Sabbath. And this could get this guy stoned if he actually listens to Jesus. But then he says, walk. I want you to use the new legs that I'm giving you, the new life that you're going to find in me, and I want you to leave this place that has become a prison for you. Do not stay here. I want you to walk. Now, Jesus could have healed him without, you know, saying all of these things, but I think they're really, really important. And that's basically the healing. We're going to see kind of the results of what happened. But if you start to think about maybe we can find a pattern of how Jesus heals people so we can apply that to our lives today. Just looking at these first two healings that we studied last week and this week, good luck finding a pattern, right? It feels like they're different in every way. Last week with the official son, this is a very powerful family, right? And this morning, we're looking at a dude who is hopeless. He's all alone. Last week, the son was at the point of death, and I don't think there's any death in sight for this guy, just misery. You know, the dad actually went a far distance to go find Jesus and beg him for this healing, this man, Jesus actually approaches him, and we don't see that he ever even asks for it. Jesus heals from afar, and one heals up close, and that, that healing that took place last week, it resulted in rejoicing with their family, and people wanting to know this Jesus. And this week, we're going to see that the fallout is actually controversy in public. Here's what happens to this man when Jesus says those words. At once, he was healed. Very important. Jesus' power does not require buffering, right? It's not delayed. When he speaks it, it's done. And for this man, like, no therapy, rehab was needed, which is nuts. I had to go to rehab for my pinky, right? I'm sitting in a room with grown men and women doing legitimate exercises, and I'm over there on the side just doing this for, like, 20 minutes. In, insurance made me, or I would have done it at home. But he didn't need it. The healing was immediate, and this guy is able to actually stand up and walk. But he has a decision to make, and he does it. He actually does what Jesus says, right, which is a big no-no in that day because 
it was the Sabbath, all right? And these people come up to him, and they confront him on this. Now, I want you to underline the Sabbath, because I think that's a key part of why Jesus does this miracle on this day. The, the Sabbath was something actually given by God back in the Old Testament for people to experience rest. But over years, the Jews had actually added all of these extra laws and restrictions on top of it that what was meant for rest actually became burdensome. And if this man actually did this, he would be violating one of the, the traditions and laws that they had added of carrying something from one domain to the other intentionally on the Sabbath, and it could end in him being stoned. But I think the presence and the power of Jesus in his life kind of created some faith that wasn't there before when he was first asked that question. And he actually, in the midst of this kind of tense situation, he still does it. But look what happens. He's scared, and they, they confront him, right? We just saw that they actually say, why are you doing this? Which is so crazy that, you know, immediately after this dude is healed, someone who hasn't used his legs for 38 years, the first thing they can say is, hey, you can't do that, right? If that doesn't reveal the barren institutionalism in their traditions, I don't know what does. But that guy's scared, so he backs up, and he's like, hey, 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 this was not my fault, right? That man who healed me, he's the one who told me to do this. And so they're like, okay, well, who is that man? And look at his answer. I don't know. The man who had been healed, he did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn. A couple things to see in here. Do you, this is huge for this story. Do you realize this man was apparently healed without faith in Jesus? This was a sheer act of grace from God. Nothing this man did earned anything from him. Nothing. It was so he could experience grace and God's power could be revealed. And then you see Jesus actually kind of withdraw and go away, and this man can't find him. Jesus does this like five, I think five different times in the book of John, and it's usually when he does something or says something that could be controversial, and it could lead him to his death quicker than he's supposed to be on that timeline that God has set. So he actually withdraws and steps away. But next verse, he comes back, and he finds the man and gives this third statement. See, you are well. Now, when I hear that, it reveals doubt. And it's either doubt in Jesus or doubt in the man. And I'm just going to go out on a limb. I don't think it's Jesus. I don't think he's like me when I do remodeling work. When I do electrical, I don't know why I do this. I probably look so silly. But I always go turn off the breaker, right? I go do the electrical. Then I come back to the breaker, and I kind of get in a sprinter stance. And I flip it real fast and take off running. And I scream, it worked! Like, the house did not burn down. I always expect the house to burn down. And I'm always surprised, like, oh my goodness, I can actually do something. It worked. I don't think Jesus steps up to this man and he sees him and he's like, oh my goodness, I have power. You are well. I can't believe it, right? No. He's stepping in and there's some doubt in this man that you can still see. And he's going, see, I told you. I told you that my power is stronger. I told you that my ability to heal will beat any other system that you go and try, no matter how many years you try that. I told you. And then he gives this next line, which could be interpreted as a threat, could be a little controversial, when he says, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. I actually don't read it that way. You could see this as, well, maybe his sickness that he did have 
that he's now healed from was from sin that he had committed. Um, and so now Jesus is going, hey, don't do it or else something even worse could happen. I actually think this is an invitation, a kind, compassionate invitation from Jesus to this man where he says, hey, walk with me. You've just experienced something like you've never experienced before, but I'm telling you, you're on a mountaintop. Walk with me in the day today. Practically thinking, how many sins did this guy now have access to that he didn't before? Think of the places he could go, the people he could be with, the things that he could do, the stuff he could try. And I think Jesus is saying, hey, remember where life came from? Walk with me if you want to experience life. Now, this is the part of the story where I expect this man to shout for joy and go tell the whole city, like, Jesus is here. He finds out who this guy is, and he does go tell someone, right? But remember, he doesn't, he says he's alone. So we can assume he has no close family or friends around that have been taking care of him. So where does he go? He goes to the Jews, and he actually tells them, hey, this is Jesus who did it. Now, you have to believe that he knew that this was going to get Jesus in trouble because they had been coming at him, and so he's trying to place that blame is what it seems like to me of like, hey, hey, hey it wasn't me, it was Jesus. That's the guy that y'all want. This is where we actually see the first open hostility towards Jesus in the book of John. This is where the story starts to turn a little bit. They start persecuting him because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. So I'm assuming there's some interactions now because the very next verse, it says, Jesus answered them. They're asking him like, hey, is it you who's working on the Sabbath? And he says this kind of coded message, my father is working until now and I am working. So what's he saying here? Well, technically God cannot break the law of working on the Sabbath because God never ceases to work. He's always upholding the universe, sustaining life, breathing new life. So the Jews knew that. They knew that theology of God kind of gets a pass, right? He's always doing things. And so when they're asking Jesus, are you working on the Sabbath? He's like, hold on, let me clear the air, all right? It's actually God who is working on the Sabbath. Oh, also, I am working. Also, number two, I am God, right? I'm sure the disciples are going, oh my goodness, why? Why, well, why is he revealing this? Why is he doing this? Why is he doing all these things on the Sabbath? It's almost like Jesus waited until the Sabbath to do things, right? And, and he, he was really confronting the Jews here because of what they had done to the law and what God had intended. They were missing something. He could have waited, but I think he wanted to show them that, hey, I'm not violating the law. I'm violating the traditions that you have turned into law and you're missing what God had intended for rest. And boy, I, I would be kind of terrified if Jesus showed up today and kind of took a look around at American Christianity, because I bet, I don't know what they are, but I bet there are hundreds of things that we have added over time that we kind of hold as sacred, but really it's just because we've been doing them for so long. And this was one of theirs. And Jesus is telling them like, hey, the point here." It's never a bad day to do a good thing. Don't get so caught up in trying to keep these laws that you miss me. Now, they may have missed the Sabbath one, but they did not miss what he's saying here when he's equalizing himself with God, saying, God is my father. That's basically the miracle. 
There's one more verse we'll come back to, but what can we actually take from this, right? What, what can we learn? Wednesday mornings have become some of my favorite mornings of the week. Every Wednesday for the last three weeks, uh, we have gathered in the great room over here with men seventh grade and up. We've had over 100 guys show up for each of the first three weeks. Um, and it's so sweet. We get to sit in small groups and study God's word together. Any man is invited. We would love to have you. But this picture reveals a couple things to me. I noticed this this morning when I was going back through my slides. Apparently, I have one outfit, right, <laughs> that I wear. It's literally, I mean, from head to toe, it is the exact same thing. I'm missing the name tag, and that's it. That was not planned at all. But two, it also reminds me that God has called different people to different things, right? Y'all know who took this picture? Mark Schatzman. And I am so grateful that God called Mark Schatzman to be a pastor and not a photographer, right? This, this is like the story of my life where things start really strong, and by the end, you get like six extra teeth, a square head, and I don't know what is happening to homeboy in the corner. But by the way, Squarehead, that's Steve, one of our elders, and his wife went up to him after the service and said, new nickname, Squarehead. So that's what they're going with. But the reason that I love these mornings, right, is because we have multiple generations of men studying God's word very simply together. It's not some crazy curriculum. We actually take a different verse or a couple verses each week, and we ask the same questions every week called Discover Bible Study. And these are the two main ones. What does this passage say about humanity, and what does it say about God? And I thought, you know what? Why don't we actually do that with this passage today? And what you may observe may be different from what I observe, and that is great. But, but here's what I see. I actually see a lot about man. You, you see this guy who receives healing, and what does he actually have to offer Jesus? Nothing, right? Absolutely nothing. But he's in this, this pit of despair and physical hopelessness, but in that, God meets him with real healing, and he, he offers himself up to this man. And it's a reminder to me that, man, sometimes we see the goodness of God when we are in our deepest pits and pains. And God can actually use the pains of this world to speak to us. No one says it better than C.S. Lewis with most things, so we quote him a lot. But he says this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And I have experienced that so much. The, the most grace-filled, mercy-filled moments that I've ever had with the Lord have been in the midst of deep pain and heartache. But even more than what's revealed about man, I think there is so much revealed about God in this passage. Um, I did something that I would not advise if you ever teach or preach. Um, after I kind of gotten this done, slides were done, I actually went and looked at the way someone else might have done this. I went and watched The Chosen on this episode, and it was great, but as I'm watching it, I'm going, oh no, I'm interpreting this way different than they do. And I started getting really nervous, but then I realized we're both really trying to make sense of some things that are not communicated. We're never told that this man wants to be healed. He did not answer yes. We're never told that he has faith and actually believes in Jesus. We see his faith lived out but then he turns him in. We're never told that he's grateful to Jesus for the healing. And I think you could argue John records it when people are grateful and when, when they start shouting it and telling people and people come to know the Lord. We don't see it here. Because of that, I think what this reveals about God is huge. We need one more verse to make complete sense of it, though. This is that last verse that, that kind of ends it. 
you see this interaction of Jesus working on the Sabbath leading to persecution, but when he claims to be God, they are now wanting to kill him, right? Which is funny that they can conspire murder on the Sabbath, but Jesus can't miraculously heal someone, right? But why do they want to do it? Because he has now made himself equal with God. And in fact, if you fast forward to John 19, when Jesus is before Pilate on his way to the cross, Pilate's going, hey, what do y'all have against him? And they say, hey, he is claiming to be equal with God. He's made himself the son of God. They reference back to this moment. And what I think that reveals about God is think about this. The miracle and interaction that starts his path towards the cross in a lot of ways is the one that he did for a guy who didn't deserve it, for a guy who didn't ask for it, for a guy who you could argue wasn't even grateful for it. But God displayed his grace and his mercy even in that moment. And all I can think of when I hear that is the gospel of Jesus, right? That God doesn't require us to get our lives together and get our act together, and then he will go to the cross on our behalf. Scripture actually says God has showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for the ungodly. So the way that I would summarize those two questions, we'll end with this. What does this passage say about humanity? Y'all, we have nothing to offer, nothing except a broken and contrite heart, brokenness before the Lord. But praise God that he has everything to give, everything. And the only way that we get to experience that, though, is through the life, death, and resurrection of the one that we worship in here every single Sunday, the one that we're taking these 21 weeks to discover, how did he actually live his life? And it's through the cross of Jesus that our brokenness actually becomes worth something because God's mercy and grace meets us in it, and we get to experience new life. If you think about the story we just studied, Jesus shows up with the power to heal in a place with a bunch of broken people who are all searching to find healing in their own methods but only he holds the power. And when you think about our story, Jesus shows up with the power to heal in a place with a bunch of broken people who we tend to try to find our own methods to experience freedom and healing, but only he has that true power. So the reason we worship is because we actually believe in his power. The reason that we pray and and people come before our elders when there's Um, a serious, serious illness is because we believe the truth of God's word that we can pray and he hears. The reason that we worship is because we want to experience this this power that he has, not just through these mountaintop miraculous healings, but in the every day. Because every day is not going to be a mountaintop for us, but the power of God is still as true on those days. So if y'all stand with me, it's, it's, It's with this heart posture of we have nothing to offer, God has everything to give, that we wanna end our time with worship. So we go to him to worship him. Lord, we love you. We are grateful for you. Your goodness in our lives, your mercy, your grace, your power to heal. God, we believe in it and ask that in a room with all these people with different things going on, God, that you would step in and meet us in our deepest needs. God, we wanna find hope in you and we praise you.
worthy of praise in this place. You're worthy of the praise of our lives laid down in love and service of those around us where we live, work, and play. Jesus, thank you for the fact that you are our Savior first. That when we can't, when we can't do it, when we can't find healing on our own or life on our own, fulfillment on our own, any of those things, God, you come to us. You woo us to yourself out of the goodness of your heart to give us life. God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. May our lives be praised to you this week as we leave. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. All right, the first service skedaddled really quick. I just have one quick announcement, so hold on. Hold on. You'll beat the traffic. Don't worry. First of all, prayer. If you need prayer, we would love to pray with you. Um, Marsha Phillips, wave, wave at them. And Doug Rains, they're right down here on the front. We'd love to pray with you. Also, you can come grab one of us if you need prayer this morning. Also, if you're new, we'd love to connect with you. Um, again, come up and see us. Go to the booth out in the foyer to meet some real live people. Or you can, um, you can get on the website as well. Uh, family camp. This is the big announcement. The deadline ends tomorrow to sign up for family camp. So please make it a priority. Talk about it. Think about it. Pray about it. But do it quick because it closes tomorrow. Um, it is just a day camp. It's not an overnight camp. So that makes it a little easier for you to get there. Um, okay, that's it. So I do want us to close. We're going to close with a fun song that we sing a lot at house worship. And so if you want to hang around and sing along, feel free. You're dismissed, though. We love you guys. Have a great week.
So good, so good to me. So good, so 